Trekkies, welcome back to Trek Freaks, the Geek Freak Show, where we talk all about every episode of Star Trek, starting all the way back with the original series. My name is Kevin, and I am joined by Frank. Oh, you're not Frank. <laughs> Almost. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined by John. Hey, hey, what's going on, man? <laughs> How are you doing today? Good, good. All right. Ready for what, some Star Trek. Heck yeah, and what episode are we talking about today? Oh, we're talking about season one, episode 15, Surely. Oh, yeah. This was... We'll get into how good or bad the episode was. It's going to be a fun one to talk about for sure. Yeah. I think Bef- the writers just kind of needed a day off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, after watching this, I need a day off. Um, <laughs> before we get into the episode, though, it's all about shore leave. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you a question about shore leave. Nice. If you were a crewman aboard the Enterprise, what would your ideal vacation be? So knowing about all the different kinds of planets that these guys go to and how dangerous some of them are and whatnot, um, my my typical shore leave, I think, would just be on the holodeck anyways, not even leaving the ship, but stay in the, the safety and comfort of the holodeck. But if I am actually going to go off the ship, because uh, that's what shore leave is, it's uh, actually going off the ship, uh, I would just want to go to Earth. Like, can we make swing back to Alpha Quadrant real quick? Drop me off. I'm going to go visit family, check out some good restaurants. Somewhere that I know is relatively safe rather than exploring some, you know, unknown planet for the first time. And I'm going to be the, the guinea pig. So, yeah, I want to I want to go vacation back on Earth. Cancun should still be around, right? <laughs> <laughs> You'd think so. But in uh, the next generation, we learned that there's like a whole Cancun style planet with Ryza. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, yeah, that's true. There's got to be plenty of uh, planets that have been established as safe uh, vacation places anyways. Yeah. So, so what about you? For me, when I'm on vacation, I'm I'm a staycation kind of guy. I like to go home and just veg for as long as I can. Turn my brain off because I use my brain a lot at work, and I'm pretty sure on the Enterprise I'd be using my brain quite a bit. At least I would hope. Um, yeah, I I would definitely want to get off the ship and not think about it for as long as I could. Uh, I don't want to say I if I could go anywhere because I would be on on a starship. I'd probably try to find like a vacation planet or like a casino planet just somewhere where I can go and do something that I would normally never do just to just, just to live life for a week or however long shore leave would be something something entertaining. Go see some shows, go see some music, go to a planet uh, like Andoria or something, something that I have no idea or Andor, whatever they call it, uh, the Andorian homeworld. Mm-hmm. So I could just like immerse myself in their culture like take in their theater see some of their concerts and movies and just see what like a different planet's culture is all about i think that would be fun so like you i'm more of like a homebody i don't really want to go out as much as most people i think like my wife always wants to go you know let's go like to reno or let's go to the beach or something like that i'm like you know we got like an ac and a heater and a full fridge comfortable (laughs) couch like let's just put on a good movie (laughs) stay home or better yet, let's play some video games for a while. So that's why I think like rather than going off ship and going to explore all these dangerous unknown places that take a lot of work to get there and you spend how many days flying back, um, I would love to just be on the holodeck. Like I think the holodeck is the same as our playing video games because you can escape into a world where there's endless possibilities. So you could play any different story. You know, like, it, like people that like to sit at home and read too. 
you know, you can play out a character in one of your favorite novels. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably just stay behind on the holodeck. Maybe get extra extra credit for being the guy that stays with the ship, but I'll be, <laughs> I'll be playing around anyways. So you'd be Barkley. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> okay, you're Barkley. I'd be so obsessed with the holodeck. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. All right. Well, that kind of leads into a lot of what goes on in this episode. But without further ado, time for the warp speed recap. The crew of the Enterprise is in need of shore leave. Life has been rough on Starfleet's flagship for a while now, and some rest and relaxation is in order. Dr. McCoy and Sulu are evaluating a lush planet that McCoy likens to Alice in Wonderland. (sighs) Minutes later, McCoy sees a large rabbit that is late, followed by a blonde girl with an English accent. Either their initial scans of the planet uh, showing no life were wrong, or Bones is in even more need of some R&R than he realized. As the other crew members that are planet side talk or think about specific things, those things begin to appear. Sulu finds an old six-shooter pistol. He fights a samurai. Rodriguez runs from a tiger and some old warplanes. Yeoman Barrows fights off the advances of Don Juan not once but twice, (laughs) and that of a Black Knight, the latter of whom seemingly kills McCoy. Uh, Kirk fights with a student from the academy that picked on him when he was there, as well as rekindles a relationship with a a seemingly long-lost love interest. So, you know, typical Star Trek stuff. Spock ends up figuring out what's going on, but doesn't know how or why. Anything that the people on the planet imagine is quickly manufactured and interacts with them exactly how they imagine it would. After Kirk finally gets the best of his old foe from the Academy, a man calling himself the Caretaker appears and tells them uh, that he just came to realize that they didn't understand what was going on. Now that everyone knows to keep their imagination in check, shore leave is granted for the whole crew, and I feel like I need some shore leave after taking notes on this episode. Yeah, that was a that was a little mess of an episode. I don't know. I was so kind of like originally thrown off by the the plot and then it just didn't it didn't get much better it was just my biggest hang up with this episode was that they didn't understand what was happening until mm-hmm. toward the end Spock and Kirk kind of talked about it and realized it at the same time that oh our imaginations are making things happen it's illogical so it makes sense that Spock didn't think of it right away but yeah. I mean Kirk should have realized it. McCoy should have realized it right away. It talks about Alice in Wonderland and all of a sudden Alice and a rabbit appear. Yeah. yeah. It seems like the, I mean, the creator just messed up because first off, there's no buoy saying, Hey, by the way, this planet does this thing. Right. And like second, why would you just base it on people's thought? Like you you need a little more structure than that, obviously, because people are just thinking of random things and they're popping into existence. (laughs) Right. Yeah. At least, when, it's like uh, he's trying to make uh, Westworld. Like Westworld was a really good show and originally movie and a good concept. Like they're just doing a failed attempt at that is what it looks like. When uh, the Federation ends up coming up with the holotech. Te- I don't know if they come up with the holodeck technology, but when it starts being shown in the next generation, we see that there's safety protocols that don't always work as intended. But this planet didn't have any of that, like the tigers and the gun and the the planes, everything seemed to be exactly how they would be. So there was no way for them to keep their imagination. If I'd be like, oh, shit, anything I think of is going to come to life. I'd be like, 
oh god i'm on fire now yeah. <laughs> or something <laughs> my mind would just immediately jump to the worst possible scenario don't think about nuclear weapons don't it, think about nuclear weapons <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah that's just yeah it was just a bad plot and so the the creatures were made from the planet right they were made out of like uh biologic material i think isn't that what they're saying like they're made from plant-like materials something like that like out of fibers or something from the plant i i don't remember exactly what what they were being made from but yeah it was they were being manufactured and like instantaneously being implemented into the scenario on the planet yeah i think it was just kind of it it could have been done better if they just did the storytelling portion better in the in this story like they could have written it a little bit different to where we're along with or we we know more than the characters do right other other than seeing the little antenna every once in a while that that shows that somebody's watching them but uh, this could have been a very very fun episode if it was written correctly for that yeah. purpose yeah. i it feels like it was meant to kind of fill that role without actually doing it effectively which kind of sucks but yeah it, it's all right it wasn't a terrible episode it was just a slog to get through yeah because of how long it took everybody to realize what was happening but let's go th let's go through what we can scene by scene because there is a lot to dissect um that i didn't mention in the warp speed recap so like right at the beginning you can see that kirk is in need of some kind of vacation his his back is hurting him and he thinks that Spock is giving him a massage and it's not <laughs> Spock at all. It's Yeoman Barrows. What did you Which, think of that little interaction? Yeah, I liked it though. I thought that was pretty funny. You know, his whole reaction, that he th which is, I, I don't know, that seems odd to me either way that, oh, it's, he feels okay if Spock's rubbing his back. Like he, you know, he's accepting of it, but then, you know, he thinks it's the Yeoman. It's like, oh, wait, yeah, no, we shouldn't have that kind of interaction. Like, I need to, you know, keep a safe, respectful distance from you because I don't want people to think the wrong thing or whatever. Um, so then he kind of like uh, dismisses her as soon as he realizes <laughs> she's rubbing his back. But he like stiffens yeah. up because that, that, that's good. Yeoman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was still, that was pretty funny. I think it would be kind of dangerous having Spock give you a massage because he gets you in the right spot. You're going down. He's got that Vulcan <laughs> nerve pinch. He could right. just accidentally implement that. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. Vulcan masseuses, they must know the body, you know, so well and their you know, hands yeah. are stronger. They could probably just reach up and give you a quick jab in the right spot and then everything straightens out. That'd yeah, I think. Cool. That'd be like awesome. Like the re re reverse of the, you know, Vulcan pressure pinch. <laughs> i'm stuttering today sorry <laughs> <laughs> you're all good man uh so when mccoy and sulu are walking around on the planet uh mccoy brings up a very good point of why the captain's being so well he's in such a dire need of some r and r mccoy says to sulu you've got your problems i've got mine the captain has his plus ours plus about 430 other people mm -hmm. that's a very good point that it didn't seem like it needed to be brought up, but I'm glad that it did because it just goes to show how stressful it is to be Captain Kirk. Yeah. And we see time and time again that he's got superior mental capacity and, and you know, got a strong brain. And that's got to be like the only reason he's able to sustain such stress because we see this, this pressure on other captains all the time, too. Uh, but you just have to be, you know, a higher functioning individual to be able to handle the, uh, the responsibility of being a captain. Yeah, the rigors of being a captain, you see it in every iteration of Star Trek. And right here, when Captain Kirk is giving his uh, recording his log, he forgets the exact start date. He actually has to go uh, 0.3 or something like that. Yeah. 
um, his whole crew is trying to convince him that he needs to take some shore leave with Yeoman Barrows giving him the massage. Um, when McCoy tells Kirk that he saw the, the, the white rabbit and the girl on the planet, uh, Kirk thinks that McCoy is joking just to lure him down to the planet to get some shore leave. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's pretty funny. Do you think that Kirk is just being too stubborn to not want to take some rest or some time yeah. off? Definitely. I think it's, you know, uh, the captain goes down with the ship kind of mentality or, you know, his, his crew becomes a f- f- before him. So the way he's thinking is I won't rest until everybody has rested and is safe. Like when, it, when I'm not needed for my role anymore, that's when I could take a break. But that's never going to happen. You're always needed as captain. So he's got to learn to, you know, delegate some responsibilities and take opportunities to rest with his uh, crew. Instead of, you know, after them. Right. Yeah, it's 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 honorable to an extent to be like, yeah, I don't I don't need I don't need rest. I'm the captain. Let them yeah. rest. But yeah, you're putting yourself and your ship in danger if you're not in the right mental capacity to even remember the date, which I know happens to me all the time, but it doesn't yeah. happen to Kirk ever. So and he has to remember that him, you know, caring for the ship or caring for like a, you know, their engineer, because we need an engineer to make sure the transporters are working perfectly or something like that. It's like, well, yeah, but you also need an effective captain. So if you wear down your captain, if you don't consider yourself an asset that needs to be properly maintained, then you're not going to have an effective captain to manage your crew. If you don't bend, you break. So you can't push yourself until you break or they won't have a captain at all. Yeah, Spock pointed it out to him when he tricked him into actually accepting the shore leave. That was pretty good. Yeah, I like that trick. So he's explaining to him like, yeah, you know, we got this one crewman who's just stubborn. He, he, he's he been what, coming up short on, on these different marks and he really needs uh, shore leave, but he just won't go. And right away, Kirk's like, well, he, he's going to go. I'm going to make it a, you know, an order. He must go. And then <laughs> Spock's like, okay, cool. So his name's, you know, James D. Kirk. And he's like, Oh shit. <laughs> you can see that on his face like you bastard, you got me. But yeah. So he accepts and goes. Funny thing is, is uh we find it funny as the audience that Spock was doing that. I don't think that Spock found humor in the situation at all. Which kind of makes it even more funny. Yeah, this was was opinion. logical. Just to delay, you know, naming the I think I mean I think to an extent that's the Vulcan humor that he does have is delaying telling him who he's talking about until the end right. knowing that that would you know deceive him a little bit but he's just giving him the straight facts so normally when we're doing these uh analyses i don't go too in depth with any of the production or any of my thoughts of how like the camera angles or anything that went mm-hmm. but there was something that stood out here right after uh spock tricked kirk into accepting shore leave there's a, a weird transition where spock is talking about the planet and giving all the good qualities of it while the camera is just like panning across the planet and then it zooms in on a rock and the rock lifts up and there's a, a gun there. Yeah. While Spock is still talking to Kirk on the ship. I thought that was a very odd transition that I hadn't seen in Star Trek before. It was like very misplaced. Yeah. It almost is like a time lapse kind of scene where, you know, they're talking about something as other things are going on. But yeah, that's wasn't familiar, at least for what we we're used to in Star Trek already. Yeah, it seemed very very odd but it was a way for them to show us that oh there's a gun there danger is happening now yeah. the planet isn't what we <laughs> think it is because obviously there's hidden stuff right when kirk goes to the planet he beams down with yeoman barrows and they immediately <laughs> they end up finding the large footprint left by the rabbit that 
<laughs> that McCoy saw. So they go to investigate and yeah. so, Kirk is... Well, that, that right away does prove to us too, because in the beginning I thought uh, they scanned the planet and they didn't find signs of life. And so uh, I even, I think I said it out loud to my wife. I was like, oh man, so they don't realize if there's no humans and there's no creatures, that doesn't mean this planet is safe because the other, there was a movie like five, six years ago that was a good representation of this, but I don't remember the name. <laughs> unfortunately great great thing to to throw in there but <laughs> but that the plants uh, of the planet could be uh, hostile and could you know release hallucinogens that make you you know trip off of cliffs or attack each other or whatever it is to protect themselves you know plants can can develop these abilities but so right away i'm thinking oh yeah there's some kind of hallucinogen he's actually just tripping and this isn't normal but then we saw the rabbit's paw of rabbit footprints. And I'm like, oh, that sucks. I was hoping it was something like that. <laughs> there really was a giant rabbit. Come on. Like, yeah, it's all... no depth to it at all. Yeah. So sorry. That's all right. No, you're good. That's good. They're investigating the, the rabbit footprints and everything. They hear a gunshot off in the distance, followed by about 17 other gunshots. Sulu's uh, just, you know, not questioning where the gun came from. Oh, I was just thinking about a gun, Captain, and now I'm target practicing with it. Um, how, how did that not spawn the conversation of, okay, now there have been two times where somebody thought of something and they came to be. Why wouldn't that have just been decided right there that that's what's going on and then figure out the how? Yeah, it seems like there's something like dulling their senses or just making them real like just chill about whatever's going on just go with the flow and maybe that's kind of part of this planet is that it encourages that so you don't see the rough edges of production or something but i don't know that i think it's just that's not not good i think that that's going to be some uh trick freaks headcanon there they were all like there. there's like some some kind of spores in the air that yeah. get into their brain <laughs> and make them not think so clearly so that they're they're not hallucinating this stuff, but they're not questioning the existence mm. of it either. A lower oxygen concentration on the planet would do that, right? Make you slightly delirious? Yeah, let's go with that. That's yeah. easy. Easy one to justify. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, they do some more investigating stuff. They split into a couple of different teams. McCoy and Kirk are talking about uh, a time when Kirk was picked on at the Academy. Mm. By I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk about Finnegan very much. Yeah. See, if you guys listening to this episode did not watch this episode prior to coming here to listen to this, do yourselves a favor and just watch the episode like through <laughs> through to completion just so you know how how bad the bad was in this when we're talking. I don't think we're exaggerating yeah. with how bad the bad parts were. Finnegan sucked. That was how is he in the academy acting like the way he was as an upperclassman? Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Also, another thing that's in Star Trek forever, and it kind of bugs me, is all the heavy accents that everybody has. You think in hundreds of years, once we've come to a very cohesive society where everybody works together and stuff like that, and you're all in Starfleet for a number of years, that people wouldn't have at least such rich and heavy accents. And yet this guy has a, I'm a full on leprechaun <laughs> kind of accent. And <laughs> just like, that just doesn't make sense. Like Scotty too. Like, it's just, I don't, I don't think those would stick around that long, but. But yeah, his character too is just just ridiculous. There was an episode of Deep Space Nine that kind of had a very very similar thing happen. Mm -hmm. um, O'Brien was reading Rumpelstiltskin to his daughter, yeah. and Rumpelstiltskin Rumpelstiltskin comes to life, and 
it's 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 a far better take on this than this episode is. But how Finnegan was acting reminded me of Rumble Stiltskin in that DS9 episode as just so over the top mm-hmm. and like they're just to try to be the funny antagonist, I guess. Yeah. I I think that's probably where the episode st- uh, stumbles the most is that there was no clear cut antagonist even in the end there was no mal intent yeah it was all just a misunderstanding from the get-go i think that's where this episode suffers yeah that makes it really annoying because you want to hate somebody for it (laughs) right (laughs) to some extent and finnegan uh, now that you're the way you're explaining it kind of brings to mind the fact that he isn't finnegan he isn't the person that was in starfleet he is kirk's memory or his representation of Finnegan. So if Finnegan was a bully to him, all he remembers is him being a jerk and laughing at him all the time and, you know, chasing him and punching him. So it's like, I get why he would only have those qualities and not be well-rounded and not be normal, but it's just annoying. It makes for a a bad character in the show. Yeah. Everything is a manifestation of their memories of something. And I guess that he really, really liked Ruth. Because <laughs> the way that Ruth acts around him when she comes to be is, yeah, I, I kind of don't even want to talk about this scene by scene. I'd rather talk this, uh, talk through this episode manifestation by manifestation. Yeah, hey, that's fine. I talk about each different thing that uh, they imagine. So, uh, we're done. I'm done talking about Finnegan and his annoying, <laughs> over the top yeah. nature. You can talk about him all you nah, want. That's fine. <laughs> all right. Uh, what about Ruth? What do you? think that their past was because he even mentioned that oh you haven't aged a day but she didn't look that much younger than him so i'm wondering how far in in his past she was that's what their story yeah maybe she she was like the unattainable kind of older woman when he was in starfleet academy or something like that like maybe she was an instructor or you know he that's a good he obviously like the fact that she's older than he would have been you know in his youth so uh she in, in her representation of him is madly in love with him. Uh, but he could have easily been the one that fantasized about her and she was standoffish, but now he's dreaming about, you know, what it would have been like if she, you know, truly loved him. So I don't know. That's kind of, <laughs> it depends on how he imagines her. It's kind of funny that it's almost everybody else had very negative experiences mm-hmm. on this planet with what they imagined. Kirk had like his best and worst put together. Mm-hmm. I, I think what you manifest on this planet kind of says a lot about your character mm-hmm. and maybe how you, uh, your outlook on life, I suppose. Yeah. And, and it, just it goes to show that exactly. Yeah. And Kirk's a very optimistic, but pragmatic person like he thinks about his past and how he's learning from his past that's where finnegan comes in Mm -hmm. but he also thinks about the best times that he had and what he strives for in in starfleet in his career to try to make a better life for people and for everybody to have a good life and that's what he manifested as ruth Mm -hmm. in my opinion it was his his best memory of a a former love interest i don't know if they were ever together or not i kind of want to know more about ruth dang it (laughs) right yeah, and and like you're saying, it shows his character because he is very, like, polarizing. He doesn't doesn't flip flop. He doesn't. He's not indecisive on anything. It is it's either full steam ahead or no. We need to stop and you know analyze this. But it's not, you know, he he doesn't work in a gray area very often. So it's either his best memories or his worst memories that are coming to mind a lot. I guess. 
So there were a couple of people that thought about very, very harmful things. Uh, we talked about the gun. What about the samurai that Sulu <laughs> thought about yeah. and came to existence? What, what is bringing these thoughts out to? Like, did you see, uh, I don't know, a sword on the ground that made you think about samurais? Like, these are very random things to be thinking about when you're on shore leave. Um, it seems yeah. like the writers just didn't have a way of trying to come up with something for him. It's like, okay, so he's Japanese, so <laughs> Japanese samurai. Boom. Yeah. Or if, if they if they wrote into it that you don't have to be thinking about these things, but this technology, you know, digs through your memories and brings out, you know, your fondest memories or what it thinks will entertain you the best. So maybe maybe you don't you know love samurais, but you would love to have a good samurai fight, you know, and so it you know gives you that. But at the same time, if this planet is trying to entertain you and keep you happy, they need to give you a weapon as well. Like, you need to be able to sword fight, so where's his sword at kind of thing? Well, well Kirk took his gun from him. So <laughs> right? it, you would think that, especially with his, uh, his fencing background, yeah. I, I know fencing and uh, sword fight with katanas are a lot different, but <laughs> you'd think that if he was good with fencing with a, uh, a rapier that he, or whatever the, the sword was that he was using, that he would know how to use a katana too, especially if he's like interested in samurai. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. so that'd be kind of cool if they if they dug a little bit more into that too, instead of him just fleeing. But if he did find a sword, like oh, one thing, I don't know why I didn't even think about this when we were watching the episode. Nobody learns to control this planet and its ability, right? Like, oh well, that's a lie. McCoy does at the end. But it'd be mm -hmm. cool if if uh, Sulu realized like, oh wait a minute, all I have to do is think about a katana, or I think about a shotgun or something like that and then it manifests near him and he's able to use it to defend himself that would be a little bit cooler to me well we see in the uh the the kelvin timeline in the jj abrams movies that when he's on an away mission he takes that katana with him or that sword <laughs> that like breaks out into as a weird sword yeah i wish he could have had something like that on him right. <laughs> back then in this episode that'd be cool um, I think that was all Sulu did was he fought a samurai and had a gun and went target practicing, but it was what brought the gun into existence later. Mm -hmm. Um, how about Rodriguez and the woman that he was with? Cause all they did the entire episode is they hid from a tiger. Yeah. And then they ran from some planes that were like some like <laughs> World War two era planes that were shooting at them. Yeah. Again, where did he get in this random random thoughts on shore leave but uh yeah that was kind of kind of weak too like they're just they were just kind of background characters it seemed like their story didn't really progress much but yeah i don't even know who the woman is like his her name oh she was from the previous episode oh shoot she's the the widow more or less of the guy that was going to get married tomlinson see i thought that but it was just I, the I, way that that she was hanging out with Rodriguez just seemed like she, she got over Tomlinson real on. quick. <laughs> moving on quick. <laughs> I mean, they know the business there. <laughs> there I uh, guess when you're in space, things move at warp speed. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so Angela, Angela uh, Martin. I just had oh, to look man. at was my... that actually her though? Yeah, I... I I wasn't sure in the beginning too, and I I kept that in the back of my mind because I remembered her. The previous episode was Angela, and then uh, from doing notes and everything. And towards the end of the episode, they mention her name as Angela at some point. They don't say her last no. name. But I was like, no. really? So she's hanging all over this guy just after her. I mean, we don't know the time gap in between there, but shortly after her uh, fiance dies, 
And she's I mean, the episodes aired one week apart, so they've got to be very close in timeline. Yeah. And her fiance dies and she just walks out like, ah, oh, it's OK. So like she moved on really well. And that makes me wonder, did she was she really in love with Tomlinson or I mean, does she have a total grasp of the fact that life is short and in space there's a good chance you're going to die? Or is she kind of desperate and just wants to like find a guy that will keep her and, and you know, get married as soon as possible. So maybe she's just moving on to try to hurry up and find a husband. But they may have just kind of written her as the damsel in distress, not as much as we see with the Yemen Barrows later on. I, I want to talk about that. That's why I'm saving that for last. <laughs> but um, she has Rodriguez there to protect her because she's the damsel in distress. Therefore, the tiger and the planes. And I don't think that's the way they should have gone with it, obviously. But I think what would have been a very cool story for this episode is if they bring Tomlinson back on this planet, like she oh, imagines him. Duh. And there's, uh, yeah, why wouldn't, <laughs> if, if, that's why I'm hoping that this is absolutely the same character, because if if not, then I'm going to sound like an idiot for saying this, but that's a total missed opportunity yeah. to have some closure with Tomlinson mm-hmm. and uh, just some kind of character development for a, a character that I couldn't even remember the name of. Yeah. Ah, that would make me remember her. We need to be writers. Paramount, what are you doing? Get a hold of us. Come on. <laughs> yeah, get a hold of us back 60 years ago when you were writing this yeah. episode. <laughs> well, they're going to redo everything at some point. We'll get in. Or we'll help yeah. with the new series. That's fine. I'm, I'm <laughs> stoked for Strange New Worlds because I, I want to see what happens before this. Yeah. I, I'm not going to get too much into it right now, but <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking about it. I hope they very delicately tie those threads together and everything makes sense because I would hate just, I don't like when they just shoehorn something in like, oh, yep, it's totally different, you know, reality, different timeline, you know, nothing really matters. Like, come on, no, delicately knit all this together and make a beautiful connection between the two would be great. They walked that line with Discovery and I'm really, I I, I hope they're very careful with how they do, specifically having Spock in, in, uh, in Strange New Worlds. Yeah. As we see in the, in the episode after this that it's his first time in command and i hope they actually keep that yeah. as canon yeah. or otherwise this whole episode didn't the whole next episode didn't really make any sense but let's talk about that later <laughs> yeah there's, yeah t- there is a lot in star trek 2 that doesn't uh stay consistent like you mentioned earlier the first holodex uh later on in next gen and the technology there was different over time like it started out very different than what it became at least in voyager right. it was a lot of different rules so and we see some some kind of uh iteration of a holodeck that's that a species has in enterprise in the prequel mm. series yeah so it exists in the galaxy just not in the same way that it exists in next generation and then transforms later on yeah maybe someday I, we could do special episodes about specific things like one just about the developing technology of the holodecks or phaser technology or time traveler do just kind of one-off episodes would be cool so to bring it back to this episode, would you consider this planet like a prototype for a holodeck? I think so. I think, well, like I was saying, it's kind of like Westworld. Like it's there to entertain people to, to you know, satisfy their wants and dreams uh, if they know exactly what it's supposed to be doing. But yeah, I think it's this, this species version, this, you know, alien race, their version of a holodeck where, but to, I mean, I think they're, it sounded like he's trying to make it up to be like a pleasure planet. Like, Anybody come here and you will enjoy whatever you can dream of. Spock referred to it as a theme park or an amusement park at the end of the episode. So that makes, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's not very portable like a holodeck (laughs) is because it's not based on like technology that's small enough to move anywhere because it's all underground 
manufacture. I wish we could have seen how they manufacture this. That stuff. would have been cool. That would have been way beyond their budget, but that would have been really cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. They got yeah. a tiger on like, set, so that's enough for them. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's fair. And the the plane sounds and yeah, yeah they, that probably took a lot of a lot of their budget. But um, I, also they called this the guy that created this, they call him the caretaker. Everything in me was trying to find a way to tie this into the caretaker from Voyager <laughs> oh. that started the whole thing. Yeah, but it's just a coincidence. No I'm like, maybe after hundreds of years, he developed more technology in this array. And this planet was that the planet. But the problem is the planet's just not in the Delta Quadrant. So it doesn't work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was thinking of this more as a uh, before we learned that it's technology based. I was thinking that he was like a prototype for Q oh, and that okay. it was just like happening. Yeah. Like just because of how fast the manufacturing was happening. I thought that it was just like an instant snap of the finger and then. Right. It was there. Well, they got flesh 3D printers. They just buzz them out in like oh, God. five minutes. <laughs> oh, God. That... Anyway. Right. <laughs> uh, that's, that's dangerous technology right there. Yeah. <laughs> Used for a lot of things. Um, so, is oh, do we just have McCoy and Barrows left to talk about I on the planet? I think so. Because yeah. Spock didn't come up with anything. Like, did he? Mm. I, I, he, he transported to the planet that, later yeah, on in the episode. The I don't, yeah, but, I don't think he had any kind of manifestation. That would be interesting too. Just follow Spock on the planet, see what, what he would drum up. Be very logical, whatever so, it is. What did you think of this whole like burgeoning love story between Yeoman Barrows and Dr. McCoy? Yeah, I don't, it didn't, didn't make a lot of sense to me because they never planted any kind of seed about this before and just right. kind of jumping into it. And then towards the end, the whole scene with McCoy having the, these women that he remembered and stuff. It was just like, okay, you don't, you care, but you don't care. And you're, I think you're just trying to protect her because she's a, a woman and a, a person, a part of your crew and you're the doctor. But, you know, she's, I don't know, seems not desperate, but in need. Um, it was just kind of, it didn't, wasn't cohesive. It didn't make a lot of sense. It was, didn't follow a, a common strand to me. There was something that, I don't know if I wrote it down, but, McCoy was basically when when they talked about the dress or she talked about the the flowing dress with the long hat yeah. and the veil or whatever. And then it happened and she changed into the dress. He he basically professed his undying love for this woman that we've only seen interact now for like five oh, minutes. I don't remember that. I'm, so I remember I, when she was going to get dressed again, this this might be the oxygen deprivation on the planet that's making everyone go with the flow and a little bit like chill <laughs> yes. and loopy and stuff. Uh, because they're both kind of playful and it's like dude you just you keep finding weird stuff on this planet like how you you all will probably die anytime you go onto a planet anyways but the fact that you're finding things you don't expect you should be you know red alert already regardless of what you find if you find right. a bowl of ice cream hey it might be poison don't dive face first into it <laughs> but uh when they see the dress she goes uh she you know goes and grabs it and goes to get dressed and she tells him uh, you know, I don't want to see you peeking or something like that. And I kind of liked his response because his it was funny, kind of funny, not funny. But he says, um, "What he says says something like, oh, when I peek, it's in it's in the line of duty." I think is what it was. So he's pretty much saying like, "Don't worry, I've seen plenty of naked women. It's not like I'm you know excited to to check you out. I see naked bodies all the time because I have to fix them. So you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not interested in peeking at you, kind of thing." But the way the way they played it out seemed kind of fun and funny, and I, I liked it between the two of them. But again, that interest, the relationship building between them was kind of misplaced, I think. Yeah, 
So when they're walking down, I don't remember if this was before or after she was in the dress, but uh, this had to been right before. Oh, yeah, it was it was when she was talking about it. Uh, they're walking uh, down some path and she says how fairy tale like everything is and that she should be wearing lots of floaty stuff with a tall hat uh, with a veil. And this is the line that that kind of freaked me out a little bit. McCoy says, then you'll have whole armies of, of Don Juans to fight you off or to fight off. And me, too. Mm-hmm. It's just that little and me, too. It's mm-hmm. like she's in, she seemed interested in him right after he said that but it just seemed out of left field like yeah. it wasn't expected at the time and because like like you said there was no like a budding romance or anything it was just like yeah. a, if you're like turn yeah, the if you're wearing up. a pretty je- dress then you'll have to fight me off too because i'll be attracted to you just like don juan was yeah that's right yeah. i didn't it, i didn't catch that that's it was that's funny weird. but yeah that's out of character for him too to be forward like that yeah i thought so too um, yeah, so they, they had their whole story of, uh, talking about fighting off Don Juan after she had already scared one away, like Don Juan away. Um, there was a black knight that came up on, <laughs> like on a horse and everything and was, had like a jousting yeah. stick. Did it look like that thing was, was capable of stabbing uh, somebody? Not really, but they break and they splinter. So if you've seen the movie, A Knight's Tale, totally that stuff happens, I guess. <laughs> it's good movie. right uh, and it's called a and, but this thing just like totally impaled yeah Kirk. uh bones or not Kirk, yeah. sorry mccoy and and it's called a lance too by the way but um <laughs> right that's the word i was looking for thank you uh but yeah i mean i think in historic times i imagine they were pointed to kill on the battlefield not just for the games that they would play in in town so i i don't know i imagine they must be able to impale people i mean they did in the show <laughs> It didn't look like that this particular one was capable. It looked yeah, so it looked rounded blunted. at the at the end, but yeah, yeah exactly. But he did have a and good size, you know, like it, a two or three inch hole in his chest where that was at. So maybe you know he was going fast right. enough and just gave it a good jab and took a chunk out of the doctor. <laughs> yep, and he is yeah. dead. So that's it for bones. No more Hope bones ever like again. Him. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, after everything, they they find out that the caretaker was running the planet and it was just a misunderstanding. Bones comes back with two two women on mm-hmm. his arms after this whole love story that went on for like 15 minutes between Barrows yeah. and McCoy. That seemed a little short sighted of him, yeah. did it not? Of him, him walking up with the, and it, the so I dancers. Think Barrows interest in him was a little bit of like a, a, a mirage or something like that, that, you know, he was her hero. She had been assaulted by this Don Juan and had to fight off for herself. So any man that comes around that she thinks she can trust is now, you know, she's going to cling on to him and, hey, you're my defender based on, you know, traditional roles and whatnot. Uh, if I pour into you, you'll stick around and you'll protect me. So I think that's why she had an interest in him and him, though, him having an interest in her was was odd and misplaced. So and then like like you're saying, he goes yeah. off, he gets recovered, healed. And then he comes back with these beautiful women because he was taught of the, you know, how the planet works. And it's like, okay, so yeah, weren't you just flirting yeah, then, with this girl? And now you got some, like, that's you, even, even just knowing her mental state and being a doctor, you would think you would be sensitive to that <laughs> right. and, you know, show her the respect of not yeah. flaunting with other women. But I don't know. Well, Barrows kind of scares them away and sicks them on, what was it Spock yeah. and Sulu, I think. <laughs> kind of funny because you know spock isn't 
yeah. he's not interested. He yeah. isn't quite the ladies' man. Right, yeah. Um, and Barrows walks up and takes McCoy's arm after that. I'm going to chalk it up to ox- right. oxygen deprivation. That's got to be what that was it, just, was. it just didn't. And so that didn't make sense. And I don't think we see any more interest between the two of them on the rest of this show. But also, I want to <laughs> point out one thing. And I love when this kind of stuff is planted somewhere, especially if in the future you ever get a, a tie back. But I doubt we'll ever get anything that comes back to it. McCoy died and was repaired by the technology of this planet. So part of him is the biological plants or whatever of this planet. Whatever it took to heal him from dead to alive, he will forever be McCoy plus this planet's technology or this planet's biology. See, that's that's why I thought there had to be some kind of like spores or something in the atmosphere that made them all see him as dead, even though he wasn't, because that's a huge retcon <laughs> if he's like been brought to life. Bu- brought back to life from the technology on this planet and they yeah. never talk about it again. I don't know. We see that but. in other Star Trek though where they do something crazy and bring somebody back and now they're like I think it was Harry Kim that was no or Neelix. Neelix was dead and brought back by uh nanobots and then he's like, well he's all worried about the afterlife because he didn't see what he was supposed to see and like, well crap, yeah, now you actually are officially dead and now you're a cyborg. So <laughs> I don't know. Like right. things like that. They just <laughs> they stick forever. And but it's so cool when you can occasionally just get, you know, in the future, if they are analyzing the doctor's record and it's like, oh, yeah, but he's his blood's a little bit different because of that one thing that happened six years ago. You know, it doesn't take much, but just to <laughs> tie it in one more time. <laughs> little callbacks yeah. like that would be awesome. There was one part in this episode that I very, very much liked, and it was for all the wrong reasons. When Kirk and Finnegan are fighting and Kirk asks, what's been happening to my people? Finnegan says, I never answer questions from plebs, Jimmy boy. And Captain Kirk just yells the best line of the entire episode. I'm not a pleb. And I'm just picturing like a 12-year-old kid right. playing Fortnite getting called a pleb. I'm not a pleb. It's just Gosh. fucking great. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, that whole, oh, whole exchange was yeah. nice, but at least, it was, at least it wasn't that long. Well, I mean, they kept bringing him back too, but at least it was the one character. One thing about Spock in this episode that I didn't understand, I think the one thing, um, Spock describes exactly what's mm-hmm. happening after after Kirk fights with uh, Finnegan the second time, says uh, their thoughts are being read and then everything is being quickly manufactured and provided. And then Spock brings up the tiger. After describing that, whatever they think about is manufactured. Why would he talk about the tiger after describing that if he talks about a tiger, it's going to happen. It's going to come to life. Oh. <laughs> Knowing yeah. what's happening and then talking about something that's going to eat about them. something good. <laughs> Why? Like, if you think <laughs> yeah. about red balloons, there will be some balloons around and then, hey, they're flying away. Oh, my God, balloons. Like, something safe, not a tiger. Right. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is why did their technology not work? And it could have been some sort of interference with the technology uh, below the service that was manufacturing all this stuff, but they yeah. never explain exactly why. Oh, there was a power drain, but yeah. why? I don't know. It was like interfering with the comms as well as draining power from their like yeah. phasers and stuff. It's, it seems a little a little odd that it was just a power drain was the and I think was the reason. It seems like something that would be intentional by the planet. Right, because if you're there to rest and relax, you know, your phone needs to not have service while you're there kind of thing. So, either the planet's 
intentionally draining them, or like you're saying, some kind of spores in the in the atmosphere that's making people hallucinogenic. Hallucinogen- <laughs> that's a good. That's a new word. <laughs> that's a good word. <laughs> but uh, you know, kind of like was it in the cage where where um, Pike would fire the phaser and he doesn't see that it actually fired, but he has to you know think and realize like I think it did make a hole in the glass. And then once the illusion was dropped, yeah, there's a hole in the glass. So maybe, you know, they, they are seeing bones as dead, but he's really not. Ah. They're just being overlaid with an illusion. But I don't know. That's, that's one of those unanswered uh, questions we're going to have. Well, even Spock, when he was on the ship, said that they were draining power from the ship. Like the ship's oh. power was being drained. And they were only able to transport Spock the one time, but not be able to beam anybody back up to the ship until it was all mm, solved. Okay, yeah, so maybe it's that planet's technology just absorbs the energy from around it. I guess it would have to be, yeah. Um, the last bit of the episode um, before uh, Shore Leave is approved for everybody on the ship uh, is the, the reveal of the caretaker. He's talking to Kirk and Spock and all of them and talking about the need for, for relaxation. And they're trying to figure out because the caretaker says something along the lines of this place wasn't meant for people like you because you didn't understand what was happening. You're not sophisticated enough, not advanced enough as a person or as a people to be able to mm. use this to its full effect. And uh, it's brought up that their their minds, the caretaker and his people's minds are so much more complex than mm. humans that. Why would they need to take vacations if their minds are so complex or something like that? And Kirk's great line of the episode was, besides the pleb line, was the more complex the mind, the greater the need for sim- the simplicity of play, which I think was the theme of the episode, essentially. Yeah. And the, the caretaker agreed with him, but did you see, did Spock agree with him on that? Um, I believe so, but I don't remember for sure. Yeah, because I feel like Spock... Spock was contradicting that, at least in the very beginning, where he says, oh, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't need rest. I'll go lay in my quarters if I need to rest. That's all I well, need. To him, that is but, re- relaxation. That's, that is vacation to him. It's- yeah, but that, I think that's what the caretaker is proving here is that, you know, and Kirk, Kirk comes to the planet, or sorry, Spock comes to the planet and doesn't uh, manifest things immediately because he has control over his thoughts. So he's, you know, of the higher, you know, mental capacity, just like these caretakers to some extent. So he, you know, could properly utilize the planet. But I think the caretaker's pointing out that, hey, even, even Spock with his great uh, intellect needs to rest, needs to enjoy some play from time to time. So I, th- I think that that was kind of, you know, brought up in the beginning when Spock says, I don't need rest. And then kind of reassured here that's like, yeah, no, even though you're really smart and organized and you can handle a lot. You still need play sometimes to rest that that big brain of yours. It's it's funny the parallels between Spock and Data from the Next Generation because Data is literally an android, does not need rest or play in the same sense that humans do, but he's always on the holodeck doing his Sherlock Holmes uh, stories and stuff. I, I wonder what the difference would be to make Spock understand. That even though it's not necessary per se, it's it's good for you. It's it's beneficial for you. Yeah. And he he would have to see the logic in that. Yeah, and I think it, it's growth. Like to to work is to to repeat, and you know you repeat and rest. But when you stop 
doing that rinse and repeat and you do something new or unexpected, you're growing and learning and challenging yourself with something different. And so like for data, that's how he can develop his social abilities or learn humanity is by, you know, going to the holodeck or, or on away mission doing different, uh, you know, shore leave and stuff. So I think Spock just doesn't think he has anything else to learn or doesn't want to learn by play. I, I kind of, I'm going to talk about this next week on the, the episode of the Galileo seven, but I think that Spock is kind of still a child in some sense. Mm. Like he, he seems like he's still learning and maybe it's him learning his place as a half Vulcan, half human, but he's, he seems like he's still developing more than anybody else that's around him on, on the enterprise. And maybe it has something to do with the Vulcans expanded life cycle. I don't know, but I'm sure we'll talk about it next time. Yeah. And it, I think a lot of times with him too, instead of trying to embrace humanity and kind of learn from them and work well with them, because he's half human and was raised on Vulcan, he's always been trying to shut out the humanity in him and embrace the, the Vulcan, you know, side of him. Right. And so because of that, he's always kind of pushing away what other people want. Like when Kirk jokes with him about, you know, a decision he made that might've been emotional to some extent. He always has to like shut it down. Like, oh no, I don't have emotions. That wasn't emotional. That was very logical. And it's like, well, it's okay to be emotional. We see other Vulcans are like, okay, this is what humans do. I can do what humans do to help them or help us work together. Uh, But yeah, I think Spock has a bit of a complex where he's always just trying to shut down his human side and embrace and support his Vulcan side. I think a lot of that has to do with his upbringing as a half human and uh, Mm -hmm. the Abrams movies kind of showed a little bit of that him being picked on as a kid for not being fully Vulcan, not Mm -hmm. belonging. And maybe this is, it's his way of compensating for not being fully Vulcan kind of like you were saying. So, Mm -hmm. all right. Well, what did you think overall of this episode? And if you were to grade it, what would you grade it? When I watched it, I thought it was pretty bad. But now when we, when we analyze it, we break it down. <laughs> it makes every episode sound better, at least analyzing oh, yeah. it, I think, and most so far. Uh, there was a lot of downsides to it. I think maybe if they had more time in the writing and more budget for, for the sets and, and characters in general, uh, it would have been a lot better. Like you're saying, if they could show background of the technology, it would be really cool. So... I was going to give it a D just because it was really disappointing, but maybe I'll do a C minus. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, and what did you think the, the moral of the story was if there was one to be had? Oh, oh, uh, shoot. I didn't write it down. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I basically s- said that the moral of the story was be careful what you wish for. It might come true. Yeah. But I don't think that was actually the meaning of the episode. It was just what hit me when I, the thought about the planet rather than the need for relaxation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's right. Some, you know, I agree with that. Like you need, you need to rest and you want to have fun, but if all your dreams are met, you know, if you had a, a genie in a bottle right now and you can have anything that you want, what would you ask for? And would that satisfy what you really want? Right. That, there you go. That's, that's, that's a really good way of putting it. I love it. Yeah. Um, I give the episode a C plus. Nice. Um, it, it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Talking about it definitely made it a lot more fun of an episode than it had any right to be, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, everyone is dumb in this episode. They're just dumb. <laughs> like everybody's dumb. But maybe it's because they need uh, they need that vacation. So their brains just like 
Yeah. Shutting like, down. Kirk just forgetting the star date is a good example already. Exactly, yeah. But the fact that at the end of the episode, they decide, okay, this, this place has all this crazy technology that makes things come to life. We're going to go ahead and bring all 400 of you guys down here for surely. Yeah. What? One person manifests a tank and just starts firing on people. Like, how do you... You got to have some safety measures, and there's clearly none on this planet. So, um, well, yeah. that's a lie. The fact that they can resurrect the dead is a safety of its own, but I don't... Yeah, but I do they still experience death, I wonder? Yeah, Like, right? do they still see the koala from <laughs> from the Lower Decks? <laughs> Does right? that still happen? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's kind of concerning. I, it doesn't, doesn't make sense that Starfleet would approve, you know, let's go ahead and go to this weird experimental planet that we still don't understand how right. our people are being manipulated, but we'll let it happen exactly. anyways. And then at the end of the episode, Kirk's like, uh, he's talking on his communicator saying it sure leave is approved for everybody. Come on down. It's like, no, you, you need to have a discussion about what this planet's capable of and yeah. what could happen to you on this planet before you just beam down 430 other people. Like, look behind the curtain real quick. <laughs> take a peek. See how <laughs> yeah. is, are they going to take DNA samples from you guys and make clone versions of you and put them on the ship while you're on the planet and then your ship takes off with some clones that are going to destroy the galaxy? Oh my gosh, we could do a sequel to this episode yeah. and it would be so good. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Voyager episode with the silver blood where they get this planet, this demon yeah. planet. It's, it's, it's awesome, but something similar. Not the same, but you know, the clone of them. That's pretty cool. All right. Well, uh, Shore Leave as an episode sucked, but talking about it, especially in the way that we did, was so much more fun than, than <laughs> the episode was to watch. So yeah. I, I hope everybody listening enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, if you did, let us know. Hit us up on all of our socials. They're down in the description below. If you have any questions that you want to ask us or have us ask on air to each other, uh, be sure to let us know those because we're always dying for for your creativity because ours kind of runs dry from time to time. <laughs> all right. So, yeah. Uh, what episode are we talking about next week? Uh, yeah. Next episode, we're going to be reviewing season one, episode 16, The Galileo 7. Heck yeah. Fun times. And until then, transporter room. Two to beam up.